All right, welcome to episode six of Horror Dads. This is a special quarantine episode, and today we are going to cover horror film scores, and we have a subject matter expert on uh, on today. It's going to be fantastic, but before we do that... Darren. Yeah, we're going to jump in with Darren. He's awesome, but we're going to talk about quarantine life before we do that, do a little intro here. So how are you, Jamie? I'm great, man. How are you? Hanging in. Living the life, huh? Yeah, just being yeah. inside. It's been kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I so I renovated our podcast space, and, and you haven't been able to come over and see it uh, yet. Yeah, I feel terrible not sitting next to you right now. Also, by renovate, I, I want feels. you to know I replaced the flooring in my dining room about six months ago and took that floor stacked it in the corner of the basement and then used it to rebuild a floor down here. So it's still like a 20 year old floor. Uh, just toss some planks down. Yeah, but it looks good, man. It looks really good down here. Good. Can't wait to see it. Yes. I haven't been in there since Friday the 13th. Yeah. So we recorded the content of this episode, not this intro currently right now, but the content we recorded the same night we did the, the all nighter we pulled for the Friday the 13th episode. So we uh, interview Darren. It's really amazing. We cover his his horror inspirations for composition and you know creating musical scores, and it's it's amazing. But but in quarantine, yeah, it was a fun night. yeah dude, so so good, so fun, humble. Good yeah, dude. it's the last time we've hung out. Yeah, it sucks. Oh, so at least we made it. At least we made it a good one that night. We did. We, we doubled up, and thank thankfully we did because, yep. you know, I yeah we had no idea it was going to come to this, and we will continue to create content. But that was it was nice to be together and and work on this because we we had about a four or five hour session where we just recorded two episodes and then you you hung in there while I was editing and it was great. So pounded white claws, a lot of white claws. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, let's talk about quarantine life a little bit. And, you know, quarantine life leads to having ample time to watch TV. So let me ask this. What are you watching right now? And what have you been watching recently? So currently I have on the 1980s version of My Bloody Valentine. Ooh. How about you? I have Urban Legend on right now. In fact, oh, I watched, nice, uh, I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. Scream three, and now this today because during during work I just had them on in the background, so I've had a real '90s day going. I also watched Scream three today, and I've been uh, revisiting Stranger Things like in the background too. Uh, so when your brothers, your brothers, uh, what I, can I say? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, but I checked out Daniel isn't real recently. I uh, just hit Shutter. So over the weekend I watched that. I was pretty good. Um, you know, some good body horror in there. It gets a little like ooey and gooey towards the end uh it's about like an imaginary best friend which you don't see that topic too much yeah so it's it addresses mental health to an extent that's, that's neat. yeah a little bit yeah it's thrown in there but i have to tell you man there's like one scene in there where like i almost like stood up on my couch i got like you don't get scared too much nowadays you know it's kind of hard to get scared but this was like sent chills through my goddamn bones i was i swear to god i was like standing up and it was like in the middle of the day Ooh. so uh, it's pretty, yeah, you don't, you know, it doesn't happen much. Um, and then what else? I checked out From Beyond uh, with Stuart Gordon's recent passing. I yeah. had to. That's probably 
that and reanimator are my two favorites of his you know he introduced me to the whole hp lovecraft um you know thing so i've always respected him for that yeah and i, I uh, feel like i've watched how about you yeah reanimator probably four or five times this week yeah yeah that's such a good one anything uh, uh you've been watching yeah so i checked out howl on shutter uh which is oh, yeah you texted me about that yeah yeah it's it's a werewolf one which can be hit or miss and oddly enough it takes place on a train so oh we love those train flicks if you heard us gush over train to busan you'll know that anything that set takes place on a train including speed to cruise control with uh <laughs> with with our boy steven seagal uh it's it's a good one though I, and I remember I'm pretty notorious for starting a film, getting very excited by its intro, and then texting you, and then having it not end well, and then having to kind of reel back wait, my recommendation. Wait, wait. Speed 2 does not have Steven Seagal. No, not Speed 2. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, no, but no. you what? just took two Amazing Train sequels and mishmashed them. But Sandra what? Bullock, Speed 2. Hang on, what's the Steven Seagal what movie that takes that place movie? under yeah, siege? What's the one under on siege the boat? 2. What's the one on under siege two? Yeah. Also takes place on a train. He's the with train. his niece or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I will mishmash if I have to. I mean, dude, I'm into it. We created a a, a new movie, Keanu Reeves, <laughs> Keanu Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> with Tom Hanks with Polar Express. Just like throw it yeah. in there. So Howl, I've watched, I've, I've, to your Stuart Gordon point, I've watched Reanimator several times this week. That remake of When a Stranger Calls, super great. Uh, I mean, I mean, the movie's not excellent, but super great. Okay, let me let me explain myself. <laughs> the introduction. I haven't watched this in a, so long, so it, you have the floor on this I, one, man. I'm not sure. I got a huge bug up my ass over the past. Two weeks. In fact, several times Brittany's come in the room. She's like, wait, are you are you seriously watching this movie again? So I feel that the intro and the atmosphere of the film are very comfortable. Came out in 2006, which is, you know, a year after I graduated high school. So it's it, yep. it's a time that was critical for me. And I probably saw it around then. But the so firstly, that movie is PG-13, which in itself... I think we should do an episode yeah. on PG-13 films. But it's PG-13, and it still has a, a way to be suspenseful and and engaging. But the introduction particularly, you've got the shit happening at the carnival nearby. kind of reminds me of Funhouse, so it has an element of that. We talk about Funhouse in this episode. And then it also, the cop, the husky, like, oh, I'm the captain, he comes in. Hey, where's the body? Oh, it's upstairs. Okay, it's upstairs. He goes upstairs. What was the murder weapon? The newbie rookie cops like, oh, you see, sir, there was no murder weapon. So you find that these two kids were killed, essentially, and they don't even show any gore or blood, but they use the essence of sound, which is something we talk about a lot in this. And later they show him downstairs and they, they're carrying bag after bag of body parts out. You assume they're body parts. So I think it's well done. So hmm. so I've been watching that, and then I've also do, been doing my my annual pilgrimage through the uh, Scream TV series 
and I just wrapped oh, yeah. that up. So I watched. Seasons. Oh, you did both seasons already? Well, I did one, two, the special Halloween episode, and I watched season three, and I really enjoyed season three more than I had in the past. So, oh, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, was it better the second time through? Yeah, I would definitely revisit. Yeah. I spent more time paying attention to it. Uh, I think initially I was bummed out that the cat. I, I was led to believe that the cast was going to return, and then they didn't. And then I felt yeah, you read some bad it. info or something. Yeah. yeah, but it's worth a watch. It's it's better than not having a third season about one of your favorite franchises. So I would check it out. Yeah, definitely. As it gets warmer, I'm going to revisit that as well because we both love that. Yeah, yeah, and it's solid. So if if you've been avoiding it because of the fact it's on MTV, it's pretty much what yeah. you expect it yeah. to be. But you know, if you love the universe, you love the universe. So it's worth a check. Oh, out. absolutely. Yeah, no. If you have had a stick up your ass about it, which we both did at first, just go in there and enjoy it for what it is because <clears throat> I think you'll welcome it in at some point as part of the universe like we both do. Yeah. And I think we would be remiss, and I don't think you watched it yet, without mentioning uh, The Tiger King. I, I know it's all the fucking rage right now on Facebook and shit. The memes are everywhere. But, dude... You have to watch it. Um, it is just batshit crazy. If there's anyone who hasn't watched it yet, just swallow your pride if you're like one of those who's trying to avoid it because of how like everyone's talking Me. about it. If you're one of those, yeah, like you, yeah. <laughs> uh, just fucking swallow your pride and watch it because it's it's 100% worth it. I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, I'll watch through the Scream series again and then I'll go to the Tiger King. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will. <laughs> You'll be one of those who watches that like six years from now. You're like, oh, dude, Tiger King. And I'm like, just shut up. <laughs> All right. Um, so, dude, family antic. You yeah, got anything? Yeah, let's head to family antic. Yeah. yeah I, I do have a funny one. Well, it's actually kind of a cool one, a nostalgic one. So we have obviously, like the rest of the entire planet, been inside. And on rainy days, such was one of the days this past weekend, we plugged in the Super Nintendo. My five-year-old and two-year-old had never interacted with a Super Nintendo before, uh, other than potentially at your house. Finley might have. But uh, we played Donkey Kong. Finley, my five-year-old, was so bad at it, and I remembered how just great I am at that game. I don't know why. I just love that game, and I was wheeling and dealing on it. You've always been, yeah. You know all the tricks and shit. Yeah, I know the secrets. But yeah, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. I, I popped that one in. So up to that point, they were fighting over the controller. They wanted to play. They wanted to watch. They wanted to play. They wanted to watch. So I pop, I put that one in, and then instantly they both just sat and only wanted to watch and listen because the sound engineering of that game is so prominent and engaging, and it's it's just as important to that game as anything else. So it was pretty cool uh, to, to do that and see that, and it's you know one of my favorite games on that system, and it was neat to see uh, the girls interact with it, and even in that way. So it was, it was fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. What about you, man? Yeah, those uh, those Nintendo synth sounds were key. Oh yeah, they were a key part of every. Yeah, so integral to any of those games. Uh, yeah, so I took Ryland out a week a couple weeks ago, uh, right as shit was starting to get bad, uh, as everything was locking down, just to like get some essentials. And um, I made him stay in the car. And I went in, ran in for something. I come out, and um, I kind of didn't even look in the back seat. Just like, you okay back there? Took off. Um, 
this was like the day or two after our Friday the 13th episode. So I still had my Jason mask in the car in the back seat. Your NECA mask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The part three. So as I'm driving, I hear Ryland say, uh, dad, turn around. So I turn around. He's wearing the goddamn mask. <laughs> I almost, I almost fucking wrecked dude. It was, it was like my heart stopped instantly. Uh, so he got me good with that. Yeah. Well, and we're going to hear from him pretty soon here in our intro. Mm. Oh, my little two-year-old keeps running off with my Funkos. You know, I have all like the horror icon Funko pops. Anyone he's partial to? I, he loves Jason and Leatherface for some reason, those two. <laughs> and you have a and, bunch, right? You probably have like eight or ten. Yeah, I have like, I I don't even know anymore Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't have like an insane collection or anything. My boss actually, ones, I though. never even, yeah, yeah, like all the icons, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Those seem to be the two that he loves. Well, well, let's check in in like 15 years if those are the movies he gravitates toward. Then there might be yeah, some we'll psychology see. there. Yeah. Uh, what What about recent purchases? I guess we'd be remiss not to mention the obvious, which is right now is an incredibly tough and trying time for everyone on this planet. And if you, like Jamie and I, are fortunate enough to to continue to be employed at the current time, and it looks like you will continue to be employed for the foreseeable future. We do think it's important to, to stimulate the, the economy for the things that you love if you can. Uh, so absolutely. Yep. Horror community is very important to us. So we're, we're still, you know, trying to prioritize, um, spending money in places where, where we can. And, and if you can't, you know, that that's definitely a reality for a lot of people right now. We totally understand that, but, uh, social media is powerful. So if you see something that you would buy, maybe, Share it, like it, pass it on to others. Um, so we'll talk about a couple of those items here here now, and, and hopefully you do the same to kind of create some conversation around some stuff because everyone's hurting right now. Yeah, we want to do our best to make sure that uh, everybody makes it through to the other side uh, safe and sound and above water. Uh, so, yeah, follow them on Instagram, share them, do what you can. Uh, a couple of the ones that I want to mention real quick are like gutter garbs, obviously cavity covers and fright rags. Um, like terror threads is one that I've really been loving the shit they're putting out. Yeah, they had some um, great stuff. Yeah, dude. Um, and then uh, quote face studios. I've always loved that dude. QF Chris Matt and Pepler. Matt Pepler puts yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, he puts out it's his dude. I'm looking at his Haddonfield poster that I have right now. It's, it's sitting right next to me. It's like nestled on the wall right next to me. So I've got my uh, camp crystal lake over my right shoulder. Yep. Yeah. So people like that, uh, companies like that, hit them up, check them out. Um, I bought April Fool's Day on Scream Factory because how can you not? Um, yeah, with that coming yesterday. up, and I bought <sighs> Vinegar Syndrome is putting some good shit out right now. Uh, if you saw that forty-eight hour pre-sale that they're doing, I think it ends tonight around midnight. Uh, but you know they got like that hidden Giallo set out, and uh, I picked up rad i pre-ordered it i don't even know when it comes out i don't care i've waited my entire life for this movie to come out on blu-ray <laughs> it hit i i just saw that it, the pre-order was available i didn't i don't even know when it's being released i don't care i just like i bought it right then it's like take my fucking money i love bmx i grew up with bmx you're just the creep uh, man so yeah uh just creepy bmx douche 
So I just like, I can't wait for that. <laughs> How about you, buddy? Uh, so I, and I, I don't know if you mentioned this, but I know we both got that, uh, waxwork Friday 13th part seven pre-order. Oh yeah. So I got and that. We both said, <laughs> it was funny because right after Friday, the th- I think the next day is when we were both like, Oh my God, what if we like lose our jobs and shit? We're like totally irresponsible to buy Friday the 13th part seven now. Yeah. And then I think we both ordered it without telling each other. Yep. No, I didn't tell you till a week <laughs> later. I was like, Hey, yeah. I don't know if you got it, but I got it. And you're like, no, I got it too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I also got, so I, I picked up that and then I also got a couple blu-rays. I snagged the original when a stranger calls on blu-ray and, uh, yeah, you also, might as well. Yeah, because I, I was watching that remake, and I realized it's... I, I don't know. It's, it's either been a really long time, or I don't even know if I have seen the original. So I snagged it on Blu-ray. So that'll be here in a couple days. And I also got... Awesome. As I was shopping around, I landed on uh, this beautiful-looking Salem's Lot steelbook that was on Super Sale. So I snagged that on Blu-ray, too, and I'm looking forward to getting that. So Excellent. Excellent. So we we have a little a little uh, game here that we've arranged to play with one another, and we agreed in advance in the interest of of what we've been talking about and making an effort to stimulate the the horror economy, I guess, uh, as well as other economies, that we we're gonna do a little secret Santa here in April to get each other something kind of keep each other positive. So I got Jamie something. We put a little limit on our, our gift amount, and he got me something. So given the nature of what we're discussing today, James, uh, which is horror you know, scores, I got yep. you a beautiful Waxwork Records version of a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm drawing this out. Let's do it. A nice movie. I'm doing a drum roll right now on my knees. Yeah. You posted this to our Instagram, actually, with your indecision. So I got you the uh, burbs, man. I've, I got you the burbs. Yes. I've been so, like, indecisive about this. Yeah. Well, but I that's made, the one I've been wanting. I made up your mind for you. Cool. Because I did the little poll on Instagram. Two people responded, one of them being Alone in the Dark, who I love. And they said the burbs. Glad you went with it. The other one was from my basement podcast. From my parents' basement. Yeah. Yep. Love them also. Uh, they also seemed – they just told me to buy all of them. Which I can't do. I want to spread the love to different places. I'm glad you did this for me. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, buddy. And I am going to buy you. I think you don't own it. I fucking hope. I haven't pushed by yet. I'm going to. Uh, I'm queued up on the Welcome to Southport, the blue t-shirt from Cavity Colors. Oh, the... dude. And I watched that today. Yes. I don't have it. Awesome. So we both have that uh, pocket hook tee. <clears throat> yeah, I know what you did last summer. Yep. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about that shirt. It just fits perfectly, and it's probably my favorite one that I own. Uh, so, yeah, dude, that's amazing. I would love that, and yeah. thank you, and you're my best friend. What can I say? For sure. Brothers and best friends. Just the way it goes. All right. So I guess the last thing before we jump in, we just really want to note uh, a couple things about the Alone in the Dark podcast. Jamie, you want to hit oh, yeah. some highlights Shout on that? Out. Uh, yeah, I think that, so I'm, I've, I discovered this podcast about maybe a year and a half ago, maybe long, maybe two years ago. I don't know. Um, but you know, I kind of was rummaging through different horror podcasts at the time, trying to find one that I liked. 
I bounced off a bunch of like different different ones that just kind of reviewed movies. Nothing really caught my interest. Um, and then I stumbled across these two dudes, Mike and Maddie, and just like there was like an instant connection there. Like I connected to what they were talking about, uh, their different interests, uh, the movies they liked, the eras they liked. And I remember trying to drag you into listening to it. It took a few times, like the Tiger King. Uh, I just kind of had to, <laughs> I, I had to beat it into you. Uh, finally, yeah. I think we were trapped in a car together on the way home from Chicago, and I put it on. Like you have no choice now. Fuck yeah, we were driving home from Riot Fest. We talked about this last yeah, episode yeah, yeah. too. But yeah, yeah, and it wasn't that I had listened to them and was against it. It just I had. It was one of those things where it was like, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And oh, yeah, then I no, got you, to it. it. And then as soon yeah. as I did, oh dude, it, and everything you said prior to leading up to that and everything you said just now completely on par amazing guys just their perspective on the kind of films they like the aspects of the films that they're interested in and frankly you know i i'm not sure we would have had the balls to pony up and do a podcast if it weren't for uh for dudes like them so i feel like we owe them a lot you know emotionally and they just did their 50th episode which was a compilation of all their past episodes and it was so fun their favorite moments yeah Yeah. their favorite moments i think that's the reason we're really shouting them out right now um congratulations to them and if you've never checked them out this is a great place to start as they review their 50 favorite moments yeah while you're in quarantine i painted all my shutters on my house on on sunday and i listened to their new episode and it was uh, very funny, very fun, and you should most certainly check it out. All right, guys, enjoy the episode. Take care, be safe, love one another. Uh, we love you all. And... Take care, guys. Yep. Welcome to Hordak. Cool. So welcome to episode six of Horror Dads. We are uh, welcomed by a friend of ours, Darren Callahan. Darren, uh, welcome. What's up, Darren? How's it going? Great to be on. Hey, it's buddy. great. Good to have you. So Darren is a, a composer, writer, director. Author. Yeah. Screenwriter. So every Everything in the book. Man. Playwriter. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that you are a horror dad. One of the first articles we read of yours was the... I don't know what year this was. It was the article you wrote about uh, showing your kids horror and introducing them into horror. Yeah, I um, I had an article. Um, you can search it if you want. It's let's it's called "Let's Scare the Children to Death" after "Let's Scare Jessica to Death." But uh, <laughs> yeah. it's um, you know it's got pictures actually of my two young children who are now older. Uh, I think that article was 2012 or 13 or something like that. But um, it was uh, uh, fun to do. But it was, uh, I don't know, it was like unusual films I'd recommend for children who are you're trying to introduce to horror. So there's some odd picks in there like Planet of the Vampires and kind of a scare level explanation of it. And, and a lot of people have contacted me about that article because it's a, a great introduction and, and um, easily searchable. And so check those out. Yeah, I loved that. It had the uh, different age categorizations as well. Yeah, we'll we'll post a link to the uh, to that article uh, on our social channels. And um, when we were discussing in advance, you know, 
sort of who to interview, uh, what to talk about, blah, blah, blah. We, you know, uh, were connected with you very fortunately. And that was the first thing that we read. And it was like, this is literally the thesis to why we're doing what we're doing. So it was really, yeah, cool we were like, see. we have to have this guy on. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, so, you know, as a, as a quintessential horror dad, you know, you fit the mold perfectly for what it is that we're doing here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you sort of navigated your love of horror, your passion with what you do for a living with, with being a parent, uh, and how that sort of balanced? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I have two children, boy and uh, Charlotte, a girl, 13, but I, I introduced them to horror pretty early. Um, I was always a horror fan. I never really made a lot of horror-specific stuff until later in my career, and I got really into the act of, of uh, writing horror, directing horror, composing for horror films. But um, uh, they've been raised in a household that's always known horror, and you know, uh, I, they'd come home and there'd be props from the films or posters, or um, you know, my films. I have, we have posters all over the house of my films and stuff, um, and. Um, you know, they're just used to seeing it. Uh, plus, you know, we just love all film. So they, you know, very early on went to the movies with us and sat there and enjoyed the magic of it. And they also knew that it was made by people, which I think is important to introducing people to horror, to let people know that it's not real and uh, that it's pretend. They're they're playing it. Yeah, um, very important. Yeah, that, that really helps. And so showing them something like, a children's film like the let's just say uh willy wonka it's got some horror elements in there you know oh, they realize oh, there's scary stuff there but they all we'd always watch the documentaries or the behind the scenes oh that's what the children look like now yeah they're real people they're just then, acting. Uh, tim burton got his his hands on it and then scared the shit out of every child alive. <laughs> yeah it's a way scarier version <laughs> yeah for sure oh my god yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there things i like about that version but definitely the original is the one what age did you find it appropriate to show that your kids something like truly scary? Like, all right, I'm going to show my kids the exorcist now. I know Jay was or, uh, a couple interviews back. We did um, Jay Bon and Senga and he was talking about showing his kids something scary. And he showed him Halloween at like the age of like, I don't know, 12 or 13. And they were kind of like, eh, they scoffed at it. Yeah. I don't know. My kids saw Halloween when they were like six, okay. um, but that I'm a terrible. Dad, so no, no, <laughs> but, um, I think uh, probably uh, they saw Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein about age five. Oh man, that movie that that so film's good. come up a lot. Uh, yeah, I feel like in just in general conversation recently, and yeah, that great great uh, gateway entry entry to, to yeah, horror, you had yeah. that in your article as well. It's a great entryway. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, that would, I, would be the one I'd recommend to any parent. It's a funny movie. It's a, a good paced movie. The kids will enjoy the characters, and then the, the monsters are there, and they do at five, six years old. They do introduce some fear, but it's healthy, and it's always the balloon is always popped at some point of that fear, and um, um, it's a great way to introduce them to classic monsters. The catch is it's black and white, but if you start showing your kids black and white movies early, they won't be scared of them and they won't think they're weird. Uh, one of my daughter's favorite horror films of all time is, um, Carnival of Souls from yeah. 1963, 64. I can't quite yeah. remember when that low budget, uh, independent film from Kansas. And, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's it's got some really creepy atmospheric things in there, and she oh, was God, just does it. yeah, 
right? But I, I remember I had a film class in, in college uh, called Monster Movies, and then I had Monster Movies 2 after that. And then my dad was like, hey, uh, what do we, what do we, what, what do you study in here? Like, what, why do you t- keep taking these monster movies classes? And I was like, I-, I will take as many as they offer. But the first movie we watched in that class was Carnival of Souls. And then we watched, uh, Freaks, uh, right after it. Oh my gosh. I haven't even watched Freaks. That, that literally freaks me out. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I got one thing. I should put this out up front. Um, I love horror and I will watch almost any amount of violence in a horror film. It really doesn't bother me. But what I can't watch is cruelty, like bullying or torture mm. or, or mean spirited stuff. Or um, I usually avoid things that have mean spiritedness, even though that's a perfectly legitimate expression of horror and it deserves a place on the shelf. Uh, I have very few things in my collection that have elements of that and rarely do I enjoy them. I've never seen Saw even though it's probably pretty good. Oh, the torture um, porn stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I don't know. Hostile. It's like, Our, I'm, I'm I, looking at my DVD uh, or my Blu-ray DVD collection behind us right now. And it's pretty absent of that kind of yeah. stuff too. We're, we're not real into the, and, and you're totally right. There's definitely a place for it in the genre. It's just not. How about Carrie, Darren? Does that fit into your mold? <laughs> well, there's a moral to that one. So maybe, <laughs> right. maybe so. There's a lesson yeah, they, there. And, yeah, there is a lesson uh, about kindness and and uh, acceptance and uh, uh, the the different in all of us. But uh, you know, I'm trying to think of something I thought was really just inappropriate. Um, like, um, uh, gosh, there's this one movie, The Undertaker and His Pals, part of you know, in the Grand Guignol kind of violent uh, thing. But it's just so mean i'm like this this should not be seen by anybody not only is it not a good movie (laughs) yeah sometimes you can tolerate it if if it's like oh this damn good story but if it's if it's not then it's it's just mean-spirited and it's yeah (laughs) i like i happen to think cannibal holocaust is pretty good and that's a very dark very gross movie to watch Mm. and and certainly the worst of humankind but it's also technically a pretty good movie and that score by riz is fucking fantastic so i'll I'll give it a pass kind of bails it out yeah uh so your kids were raised into horror obviously did they continue into horror like in their work yeah you know um uh we live in la so there's lots of movies made here um but um my daughter uh has been on uh, her first movie she ever booked was uh, Bird Box, which is a horror film. Oh my god! Uh, written by somebody I know, Josh Mallerman, and uh, the uh, she was also on American Horror Story, nineteen eighty four. Um, she's oh, also oh, been on Book of Nine Nine. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, this is Us, Space Jam Two, uh, Grey's Anatomy. So, on a bunch of stuff, but That's awesome, main man. horror. Yeah, and you know, the American Horror Story set was pretty nuts, because I was her accompanying parent during that one, and uh, it was at the camp, and uh, it was uh, she was there like uh, a week shooting uh, all the 50s flashback stuff, and it was really fun. It was good. Where did they film that? I just finished that. Like I swear to God, like three days ago, I just finished it. I binged it in like three days. Oh, cool. Yeah, they. Um, it was a pretty good season. I, I've only seen the first season of American Horror Story and then this one. I'm not really into episodic television, but I. Um, uh, it was. We went to a mall. We, you know, we met uh, at a mall. And then they had a, a private transportation take us to a secret location in the Hollywood Hills, um, where really? there was literally 
Yeah, it was like an army of trailers. It was a huge production. And apparently, I probably shouldn't even say this, but they were really behind schedule. So they had three units going. There were like 200 crew members. They were there was they were building uh, parts of the camp at the same time. They were murdering somebody like a little <laughs> while over. <laughs> Stop the hammering. You know, stuff like that. Well, that's um, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, crazy production. And it was... Uh, you know, it's just literally in the middle of a bunch of houses. There's a lake up there, and uh, it was walled off and, and you know, cop-controlled. And we had to sign all these big waivers and couldn't take pictures of anything because American Horror Story is such a franchise. They didn't want to blow anything. They didn't even want to blow that the series was going back to the 1950s. Um, so they, we couldn't take pictures of anybody in costume or anything. It was weird. Huh. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah, it was nice. So – uh, your son is what? What's is he into the genre? What, what's he? What's he do? What's he up to at this point? Yeah, he goes to arts high school, and um, he uh, does visual design and filmmaking. And he's had you know, gosh, dozens of short films that are amazing. Many of them horror. Um, you're welcome to look him up, Liam Callahan. He's got a thing called LC Productions on uh, YouTube, and there's several of the movies out there. His main thing right now, the last few months, has been music. He's got a Bandcamp page that has, uh, I don't know, the 20 or so records he's done in his lifetime. Of, of you know, obviously he's growing and learning and playing and singing. He's becoming a hell of a songwriter. I much better than I was at 17. So I think he's got a bright career ahead of him wherever he decides to go. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, that's gotta be awesome is, too, to is, have like, a your, your kin be so interested in the things that you're interested in and yeah, you know, absolutely personally yeah. and professionally. That's really neat to have. A, yeah, for sure. And, and they are definitely horror kids. Like I went with Liam to see David Lynch speak here. Oh, and I went with, oh, that's so cool. I went with Liam to a Cronenberg fest where Cronenberg was there and we ran into Debbie Harry. And, um, then, uh, my, my daughter, uh, and, uh, son are going to go see Midsummer is playing here at one of the big theaters with all the cast. Um, in a couple of weeks, they're going to go see that. So if <laughs> it doesn't get canceled from the coronavirus, right. but, uh, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I mean, here in Hollywood, it's great. Cause you see, famous people just at Starbucks and walking around and, and every movie that plays in town, particularly if it's a second run vintage movie, there's always somebody famous there. Like we saw scanners and Michael Ironside was just sitting in the crowd and, and they actually were like, do you want to come up and speak? And he's like, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, <laughs> there's chanting his name. Weird. He's like, Oh, okay. I guess I got to do it. <laughs> yeah. He told some whack ass stories, man. So, um, he's, uh, uh, but you know, he's the, one of the highlights of scanners. So, um, we want to spend a, you know a portion of the time talking about the you know the composing element and the influence of music and film, particularly the horror genre. So, it seems like again your accolades, as we sort of introduced you, the the, the directing and in in writing and producing elements. What what about composing has attracted you the most and I guess what has led you to that and what do you like most about it? Just a, a, a little bit about that, that piece. Sure. Um, so, uh, when I was younger, the only music I listened to up until maybe seventh, eighth grade was film soundtracks. Um, I saw, uh, a lot of movies before star Wars, but certainly star Wars really kicked, kicked it off where I understood that there's music in a movie and that music has power. 
so I, I listened to soundtracks and I bought, you know, all those original issue of Varese Sarabande horror films. I couldn't see them because they were rated R. And I, I always loved it. I remember the first day I moved to a new school back in Ohio where I lived. Um, and people were like, do you like ACDC? I'm like, who? <laughs> do, you, do you like sticks? I'm like, I don't know anything about sticks. Um, I just so listen to horror soundtracks. Different. Yeah. I'm like, I really like the soundtrack for Escape from New York. And they're like, what? <laughs> so, but, you know, that's that's why I got into synthesizers. And I, I, I had a couple of synthesizers with the intention of scoring my own films because I made backyard movies and stuff. Um, and I would use the synthesizers and the scores. But then our neighborhood got MTV. I got really into the cinematic nature of music videos because that was a movie. And then yeah, people, yeah, for sure. people did create videos. You know, I was young and impressionable, 10 and 11 and 12. And I'd see the video for Shock the Monkey and be like, I, I, I got a synthesizer. I could write that song. So then um, I ended up uh, getting into pop music. And I, uh, uh, when I was 16, I got signed. And uh, I ended up touring for seven, eight years with 10,000 Maniacs and Smithereens and Flock of Seagulls and Missing Persons and people like that. So I, I kind of that, got away. That's really awesome, her. man. We yeah, actually we found an interview video of you online. <laughs> Jamie. Oh, did. yeah. Full hair and everything. Yeah. Did I say anything really stupid? No. I was probably like 16 in that interview. <laughs> well, you did say that you meet a lot of cool people in the bathroom. Oh. No, no, that was the guy. That, that sounds, that was oh, the that drummer. was the other guy. The drummer said that. <laughs> it was yeah. the drummer. The drummer's like, <laughs> you, you were actually very poised about it. You're like, no, we meet great people on tour. Yeah, and, and then he and was like, places. yeah, in the bathroom. Yeah, and even in the bathroom. And we were like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's a little awkward. But you know, that, that wasn't guy, you, that, Darren. No, that wasn't me. That was Norm. He was a drummer, a fantastic drummer, great guy. It's still in touch with him. Um, but yeah, that was a... That was a uh, uh, basically I was, I was in a band that was, you know, touring around and doing really good, but I kind of wanted to start my own band. Uh, that was really somebody else's band, a very talented guy who's actually here in, um, LA and I hang out with all the time, but, um, and, and he's had a deal with Sony forever and he, uh, wrote the songs for the show Nashville. So he's very talented, but, um, I, uh, uh, so I wanted to start too. my own that's your root to the what? whole. That's your root to the whole thing, though the the, the music uh, component of it. That's what kind of drew you in and kept yeah. you connected. I I totally forgot that you you uh, lived in Ohio originally. That's where we are right now. Yeah, man, Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, yeah. We're, yeah, I remember you telling us the story. I hate to uh, backtrack a little bit, but I remember you telling us one of the ways you got into horror was sneaking into the drive-in in Dayton. Sure. Um, so in Dayton, Ohio, um, there was a drive-in theater called Captain Kid, which was C-A-P-N-K-I-D-D. And uh, it's not there anymore. It got torn down. But behind it was a train track. And uh, behind the train tracks was my house. So we'd have four or five friends come over. We would uh, uh, you know, wait for the sun to go down. Then we'd go sit on the train tracks a little while, drink beer and smoke cigarettes. And then when it was dark enough, there was a fence for the cabin kid and we would sneak under the fence one at a time, like great escape <laughs> style, like run into the cars where the, they couldn't see us. Cause they actually did have a guard who patrolled the back fence. Um, we didn't have a car. So we just wander around and see the movies, but the movies that cabin kid showed was like all this Canuck horror stuff, like, uh, um, humongous and death ship. And, uh, sometimes Italian stuff like the beyond or gates of hell. And uh, so that was really my first real introduction That's to so all cool. those movies. 
Yeah, it was cool. And those, uh, those so, buddies that you would sneak in with, do you are you still friends with any of them now? Um, I I think a few on Facebook, but we're not close or anything. Oh, I was hoping it was going to be like the friends from It or something that we like everyone has. For for sure. Once I got a record deal, uh, yeah, I really didn't hang around with the same people because I was gone every weekend. And oh, sure. Touring and staying late, so I kind of lost touch with a lot of my junior high friends. That sort of makes me think of uh, Monster Squad. The guys running it, him sitting on the roof watching the movie from uh, watching the drive in from his roof. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he's uh, sitting up there. Isn't he sitting up there with his dad? Yeah. yeah. Well, his dad comes in yeah. with the Burger King. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that scene and yeah, when the dad like, puts <laughs> Dude, his arm I love around it. or whatever. Yeah, that's, that is great. Like, I want to buy a house right next to a drive in just so I can do that. We, or we should just build a drive in in between our houses. There you go. What does the composing process look like? Does it does someone hand you and I'm sure it varies on the project, but does someone hand you a film and say, "Hey, it's shot, it's done. Edit the music to the picture or what how does that unfold? That's a good question. You know, each film I've done and you know, I've done 10 or so, it it's always different. Um the director may or may not want a particular thing. Let's take lovers as an example. So, um, Emily and I, uh, met because I cast her in a movie of mine called desperate dolls. And, uh, the picture eventually, uh, it fell through unfortunately, but it, the p- play of it got produced. So it did have some life, but not with Emily, but Emily and I stayed friends. John Klein, who, uh, shot lovers produced a movie of mine and he directed chrysalis. Um, and uh, we were, you know, I introduced Emily to John, and they ended up uh, uh, moving forward, making Chat Room, which I helped them produce, and then they went and made Lovers. But um, uh, Emily asked me to score Lovers, and uh, we talked it through, and uh, talked a little bit about the content of it and what she wanted to do with it. She was, you know, she's not a musician, so she was a little unsure how to approach it. So I asked her for some reference tracks. She gave me some. Uh, uh, things she wanted. I gave her some some things back. I gave her um, Hammock, if you know that band, ambient guitar band, Hammock, which after reading the script, I, was some reason in my head. Um, and uh, we passed a few tracks. Yeah, something like this. Uh, I think she gave me the soundtrack for you, know, you Were Never Really Here, the Joaquin Phoenix movie. Um, yeah. I, I said, that'd be cool. Uh, I was doing this big synth score for all the flowers that cut through the earth. And so I just artistically suggest something different i said do you mind if i don't use synthesizers i just use effects pedals and uh, an acoustic guitar and she said okay so um i played for i don't know four hours into a uh recorder um analog tape recorder of me with the acoustic guitar and just a rack of effects pedals mostly infinite reverbs and things like that mm-hmm. i dumped that in the computer cut it together created an about an hour's worth of music for her and that's the soundtrack that you can hear on spotify it's pretty much the original score i delivered to her um she wanted it to have a lot of imperfections so there's a lot of hiss and noise and weird stuff and a lot of it sounds like synthesizers but it's all with an acoustic guitar uh and effects that's pedals. amazing yeah and um then she uh uh, she took an hour's worth of music. Now the, the film is is not that length, so 
She took the things she liked, cut it. I mean, pretty much everything from the hour appears in the movie. It's just in different order and it's yeah. trunked or it's uh, modified in some way. Um, and so they treated it like a library they could pull from. Um, same thing when I scored Cry It Out, which was a haunted baby monitor movie uh, that's really good. Um, you know, uh, they wanted Talking about um, horror dads. That's some some scary shit. I know, man. It's a really creepy movie. Um, uh, it's uh, it's available out there in, in, in the world um, as as is Lovers. Uh, the only one of mine that's not actually available right now is All the Flowers Cut Through the Earth because it doesn't yet have distribution. But it's it's a really fine picture. Um, but uh, uh, cry it out, you know. They wanted um, a bunch of themes. Like they wanted me to write a theme song and then make 400 versions of the theme song. So if you hear the soundtrack album, it's kind of interesting because it's just theme and repeat. So it's the same theme, just in different variations. Yeah, there's a scary version of the theme. There's a uh, Wendy Carlos version of the theme. Um, there's a uh, there's an Italian version of the theme, which sounds like Ennio Morricone. And um, so uh, they took that and used it as the library. But Chrysalis, which later got retitled uh, when it came out at Walmart and stuff, called Battle Apocalypse. So you might see it in the racks as Battle Apocalypse. But um, uh, zombie film. But that is... Um, the soundtrack's out under Chrysalis. But um, if you uh, hear that one, you know, um, John wanted to hear it. Uh, like, the, the people, since it's, it's second generation after a zombie apocalypse, it's like people who have never known a normal world. So they probably have never heard music. So oh, we yeah. wanted, it to, wanted it to sound like a big echo. Um, so we degraded the tape a lot. Like, I recorded it pure, like really crisp digital recording. And then I would dump it to like cassette tape and then dump it again and dump it again. So uh, it's either my best recording or my worst. But um, it sounds. <laughs> It sounds weird. It's like this weird echo. If you actually, if you're interested in Chrysalis more, uh, there's two documentaries on my IMDb page about the construction of that score and the sound design because that was an incredible dilemma. When I, the film played here in LA for its premiere, I saw it at the Charlie Chaplin Theater, and it was in five one in stereo, and um, it sounded incredible. The work was all really worth it, but um, it's it, it was an engineering nightmare to get it to sound good and bad at the same time <laughs> so yeah, check it out really cool. <laughs> i know you said your house is uh decorated with a lot of horror posters and horror memorabilia do you currently collect any horror merchandise or um stuff like that well you know i got a sad story for you i um uh, I used to, in my youth, collect um, movie novelization tie-ins, paperbacks, and uh, LP records. But then in the 90s, when I uh, moved from Dayton to Chicago, where I lived for uh, um, a long time uh, before moving to L.A., uh, I couldn't fit it all in my Toyota Corolla. Oh, so no. <laughs> I, I literally took all these. I didn't have a record player at the time. I took all those soundtracks, and I threw them in a dumpster. Oh, no. And I I took most of those books and threw them in a dumpster. So then I realized my mistake around 2009, and I just started eBaying, buying them back. So now I have almost all the same books I did on my shelf when I was a youth, horror, horror movie books uh, and, and LP records and all those things. So I've kind of been on a quest to kind of reconstitute everything. Probably have to pay a surcharge for all of those items nowadays, huh? You know, I probably threw away, it was, it, not knowing the future of things like eBay, I probably threw away <laughs> 10 grand worth of stuff. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's but, easy to do. We've been collecting, too. I I think 
between Jamie and I. I mean, Waxwork Records, we talk about them a lot. Yeah, Waxwork and Mondo is probably where we get most of our vinyls. Yeah. And they engage such wonderful uh, horror artists, too, to do their album yeah. artwork, typically, um, when they do you're, reprints. You're buying it. It's as much a piece of art as it is, you know, music, so... But yeah, they they released all the Friday the 13th, or not all, but they're ticking through uh, all the Friday the 13th. They're up I think they're releasing Part six. 7 tomorrow. Yeah, Part 7 tomorrow, which we will be buying. Um, but, uh, well, Jamie, what do you have? Yeah, we become like... It, it's funny because when you said... Um, you listen to the horror soundtracks growing up, and at school you were just kind of like that <laughs> that nerd that was like, yeah, well, uh, Escape from New York, that's kind of how we are when you come to our house. And it's like, hey, you want to throw a vinyl on? It's like, yeah, I have the uh, fog. Let's do it. <laughs> and they're like, what? I remember when I bought uh, the first Friday the 13th vinyl for the, the first film, and Brittany, my wife, <laughs> it was like the first day I had it. I had it in the living room. I was like, drinking a beer, reading a book, listening to it, just in my element. And then in between the time that I closed the book, dumped the rest of the beer out, like went, shut off the light, was going to take the vinyl off and go to bed. It ended up that she walked in and it was just me standing in a dark room with that vinyl on standing <laughs> over the record player. And she, she walks out and she's like, what the fuck is going on out here? And I was like, no, I can explain. She was like, you don't have to, and just walked away, and I was like, you know what, I don't have to, because this is, that's me. You know what, it is tough to have a record player around with children, speaking of horror dads, because they do not understand that, how it works, and they will just bump it, or, or scratch the record, or something, so, uh, but now they have great uh, LP etiquette, as they get older. Yeah, we've yeah. had to keep ours elevated. My biggest issue is the cats. We're yeah, both cat cats. creeps, and my cats will not stop fucking with my spinning vinyl. They won't. Man, that's it's fascinating. They're just a little pause, get all excited when they see that thing. Yeah, turn. and you spent it's like a I spent forty five dollars on this vinyl and I see his claws come out and it's like, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, my son has his own LP collection. He's he's really into it. I actually mostly listen to cassettes when I was growing up. I thought that was a great format. Um, but then I fell in love with CDs and now it's mostly streaming, although I still have many yeah. cassettes and, and, and CDs. But yeah, the for LPs, you know, I have weird stuff like Martin and Patrick and and uh, um, the Howling. And but I have some of the new issues like the What Have You Done to Solange, uh, which is a great score. I have the Friday the Thirteenth one that's got a beautiful cover. Uh, phase Four was an amazing reissue. Oh yeah, the Phase uh, Four. Yeah. yeah, I think that was Waxwork, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Scanners one is really good, too, although it's a truncated version of the score, so I was a little disappointed by that. Yeah. Uh, what do you... I, we were wondering, like, historically, what, like, brought you into wanting to compose? Like, you know, like, what was the most influential scores for you? Oh, yeah, in horror. Yeah, so if you're going horror-specific on it, um, let me think, I'll, I'll probably... I'll probably have to trace back to the kind of who I am now. And if you, people want to listen to me and find me on Spotify, there's plenty of soundtracks out there that I've done over, over the years. But um, The Fog, uh, John Carpenter's The Fog from 1980 is definitely a, was a big influence on me, more so than, than Halloween, which I, I, I love the score to Halloween, but really it was The Fog where I first was like, oh man, this is something, something to watch. Uh, because I love all those drones those really like foghorn like real low tones on the profit uh, synthesizer just this it's, it's probably the first ambient record i ever bought 
it's just like i don't know it's just full of like weird kind of clusters of sound there's the theme song which is very similar to the exorcist or something or suspiria but the but most of it is just you know long tones and i always was found that really fascinating using the lower couple octaves you guys have you heard the score for the fog oh, oh yeah god yeah yeah we so we uh we're gonna slot some one. time at the end to talk about your 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 three your three most influential um and i think uh that was one of the three so we got got a few notes on that one and rewatched again this week and i i think out of all the movies on this planet that's one of the films i think i've seen more than any other film i've seen that movie so many i i love that movie so much you know my daughter had an audition recently and uh part of the audition process is not only them doing a monologue but um they asked her a question you know how do you like you know to act what movies do you like um and they said what's your favorite movie of all time she said the fog and they're like the 1980 John Carpenter movie because <laughs> she's 13. <laughs> she's like, yeah. And she's like, well, why do you like The Fog? And so she ex- explained it. And uh, they're, they're like, oh, my God. Because, you know, I'm sure most people come in there, a 13-year-old trying out for a Pepsi commercial or whatever, would come in and talk about, um, yeah, I really like The Avengers. Or I really like, uh, I don't know. Sure, like Earth. Truth or Dare. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, no, I like this you know, relatively obscure 1980 horror film that I love. It's great. That's amazing, man. You raised him right. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. what else in addition to the fog? So you mentioned the fog, you mentioned Halloween, um, Jaws that had to be one, right? Oh, well, yeah. you know, I think Jaws was extremely influential. It wasn't on me, although I really love it, but like if Halloween, for example, was influential. I wouldn't name it maybe my top three for me, what I sound like. As of two things. One, it was uh, showing you how little music you could actually write to fill out an entire film if that music was good enough. Because really, there's the theme song, uh, there's Laurie's theme, there's another little blippy theme, and then there's the end, which is very similar to the end of The Fog. Real Nine is the name of the song because it lasts all of Real Nine, but I, I can't remember in Halloween what the name of the, the shape uh, attacks or something. I can't remember what the name of it is. But, um, uh, uh, in Halloween, there's very little music like that. I always found the soundtrack album a little boring, disconnected from the movie, even though I love every piece of music on it. But it's kind of repetitive, like Assault in Precinct 13 is too, where it's just, it's just a, you know, the uh, packed like a diamond, four or five pieces of music that just repeat infinitely in the movie. And when you see the movie, it really drills it into your head, and then became a, a thing that influenced hundreds of people. Uh, who went on to make other movies and and won a similar theme, but um, but as yeah, a soundtrack, the, the thing kind of does that a little bit too. That that like that bumping. Some of like, my bump, favorites bump, do that. Yeah, where bump, um, bump, yeah, when you're watching the film, it's like you know it totally makes sense and it's great. But then when you're listening to it on your couch, you're like, hmm. Now I definitely throw on the Halloween soundtrack from time to time, and I do absolutely love it, particularly the recording for it. Um, uh, you know, I think the fog is more realized, and I think you know, Escape from New York is is more realized, and the thing too. But half the thing and the thing soundtrack didn't make it into the movie. Right. Um, but, but you know, like M Night Shyamalan doesn't have that many shots in his movies. He's like, how few shots can I get away with to make Lady in the Water or something? But uh, John Carpenter's kind of that way with music. I don't know if he's naturally lazy or if he's like, I've got it. I've got fifteen minutes of music. I'll just get it over and over again. <laughs> but but the fog isn't like that. The fog is like you know, 
a complete idea and has many morphing tones and themes and and uh, a lot of great atmosphere. So the fog is more for me. Halloween is more for influencing others. I, and the Jaws is the same way. I think Jaws, you know, is known for that main theme, but that whole score is incredibly rich and really good. And I think it's the first time maybe Psycho before it, but it's really just the one beat from Psycho. I think with Jaws, as people started to realize, hey, there's a thing called a score, and it can stand alone. It's not just the theme song that got, you know, from Towering Inferno that got nominated for an Oscar or something. It's um, It could be any element of the music that you could enjoy listening to as a symphony almost. And Jaws is probably the first one to do that. And, of course, John Williams made a whole career out of that. So, Yeah, I, and, I mean, there are, there's a film we're going to talk about a little bit later uh, that is is very reminiscent of that film that also has a very symphonic, like full, full, full symphony kind of feel to it. So we'll we'll dive into some more of that too in a little bit here. So you'd mentioned in advance of this conversation a couple other films, some some I've not heard of, uh, and some I've, I'm very familiar with. So you mentioned you know the Fun House, which is obviously a you know that's a great movie. Uh, I I really enjoyed James. Oh yeah, you you yeah. The, yeah. I love the Funhouse man. That it's it fun. is. Uh, it's a great. It's, it's very fun movie. You know what's weird about it is it's really real. Like for most of the movie, I know those guys, and those are just like the people in Halloween. Those are people that I went to school with, and you know they they have real honest emotions and it's it's cut together so well it's photographed by the guy who photographed the warriors it looks amazing and the score by john beale is like you know that was one film that said i'm not going to just use a synthesizer i'm going to use an orchestra and john beale's score for that is incredibly good it's a little hard to find although i think it is on spotify but it's a damn damn good score i didn't hear it till late and the blu-ray that's out looks phenomenal Oh yeah, we have that. You have that Scream Factory, don't you? Yeah, I've got that. Yeah. That's that. It does look amazing. It sounds great too. Um, so, and I, I would say definitely some of the Italian horror, for sure, would 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 have deep links to some of the more symphonic, uh, very orchestral kind of stuff. So, any any films in that space that have been inspirational or uh, that you appreciate? Yeah, you know, I um, my. Italian experience has been kind of weird. So I, I really only knew American horror, um, maybe some British horror. Um, but I had a friend named Aaron Christensen. He's uh, very famous in the horror scene. He is uh, known as Dr. AC in that. And he has two anthology coffee table books out, one called Horror 101 and one called Hidden Horror. And I have an essay in each of those. But it's 101 essays about horror movies one of them are kind of the top line stuff and the other one's kind of the weirdo stuff but um uh you mentioned in movies i'm like i've never heard of that i've never heard of that i've yeah. never heard of that and <laughs> it's easy to do with the italian horror because it's there's so much of it and and only i feel like only so much of it made it here commercially yeah, yeah. now now it's really coming ashore you know with a, a lot of those releases from arrow and things like that but um around 2004 maybe five Aaron was like, you know what? You should at least watch a Dario Argento movie. And I'm like, well, I know he's associated with Dawn of the dead, which is in my top five. And I was like, I really should. So I watched trauma 
and and I said, man, I really hated it, Aaron. And Aaron's <laughs> like, why the hell did you start with trauma? <laughs> he's like, he's like, don't watch trauma first. He's like, why don't you watch um, Suspiria? So I watched Suspiria, and I was like, okay, it's it's obviously good, but I don't know, it's so damn Italian. And he's like, okay, I'll tell you what. Why don't you watch? Why don't you watch the mysteries? You can watch. Why don't you watch Deep Red? So I watched Deep Red, and I. I fell in love with it immediately. And uh, then I understood the other films more. I watched all the Dario Argento. Then I worked my way through all the Mario Bava. And then I started doing the Giallo thing. So for the last 20 years, 15 years, I've been just binging on all that stuff. Right now I have, you know, I've probably spun it a million times, stuff like the Bloodstained Butterfly or Evil Eye or uh, what have they done to Solange or like all these forbidden photos of a lady above suspicion, like all these weird Giallo movies, and I just adore them. So, so it's you'd cool say do. Deep Red is the transition film that you'd suggest to people that are trying to get into Italian horror? Yeah, you know, if they're really, if they don't know anything, either Deep Red or Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which are both Dario Argento movies, both those are wonderful. Suspiria is great, but it's a little hard to crack at first. Um, that, deep that movie, book. Suspiria, is scary as shit. It's weird, man. It, it spins like this weird spell. I saw it in the theater with Liam, who had my my son. He was probably fifteen at the time, maybe fourteen. He had never seen it before, and he, you know, when the woman falls in the barbed wire, and and uh, we, who keeps a room for old barbed wire at a ballet school? It's just crazy. <laughs> just, yeah, it's just whack and and there's so many things in it like when it rains maggots and the score from goblin i was just, and, oh i got so into goblin you know and you can hear a little goblin in a few of my scores but i i goblin played in chicago they hadn't played in the united states forever this is maybe six seven years ago and my friend who's a uh, um film promoter he ran into me in the lobby of the Metro and he's like, do you want to meet Goblin? And I was like, what? He's like, they're friends of mine. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know those guys. <laughs> he's like, he's like, uh, so he's walking me into the back through the back doors of the Metro. Uh, and they're just standing there in a room, like drinking wine. And, uh, uh, I turned to my friend and I said, do they speak English? And he's like, yeah, a little bit. And I was like, okay. So I started up a big conversation with Claudia Simonetti, and um, he was, you know, my, my my friend Rusty was like, this is uh, this is Darren Kelly, and he's a famous horror guy here in Chicago. Um, and I I just seen the show is after the show, and I was like, oh, what a great show. And I I told him, and very, you know, he he got it. We had to repeat it a few times, but I said, uh, uh, you know what's great is there's so many young people in the audience. And that means, you know, Goblin is going to be remembered forever. I mean, long after you guys are gone, they're still going to be listening to you and seeing these movies because most of the audience was like 22-year-old men and women, um, which really shocked me. I thought, you know, there would only be 30, 40, 50-somethings there, but yeah. it was actually mostly young people. Yeah. And they all knew every song, you know, and it was a great show. That's awesome. So – the Italian horror thing's interesting because I noticed uh, that one of the screenplays you, one of the screenplays that you wrote, "All These Devils," mm-hmm. yeah. I had read that you said that that was like your American Giallo. Yeah, that was um, actually getting a lot of buzz around uh, town here, and uh, a lot of people were really interested in. It, but two things I heard over and over was one, even though it's set in in the East Coast of America, it's so European, um, and 
people were like, oh, I don't know, it's so European. And I'm like, <laughs> so it's still cool, right? And the other thing was they wanted a male protagonist. They wanted the husband to be the protagonist instead. And I was like, for casting reasons and other reasons. Sure. I was like, nope. You know, it's a, it's a F-Gialli, female-led uh, giallo or yellow, as they say. Um, and so, no, I'm not going to mess with it. Um, and so, but I said, well, what I'll do is I'll write you a prequel. So I wrote all these demons, which is set before the other movie. It has a male protagonist. It's not as much a giallo. It's more of an exorcist because they were wanting a little more devil stuff than yeah. all these devils. So, and then I wrote a third one, all these witches, just so I'd have three. So now they're a package making the way around. I don't know if they'll ever get made, but a lot of the major studios dig it. So maybe cool, one day. Man. Yeah, we can hope. Yeah, so speaking yeah. of that, um, Upcoming projects or just stuff that you've worked on in the past that you're you're working to get into circulation? Yeah, anything you want to talk about? Um, well, you know, I, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but there's a podcast called Halloweenies that I think everybody out there should hear. Uh, it's, it's basically like, gosh, they talk for a long time. There's four or five of them. They're from Consequence of Sound. Uh, and they, um, they talk about each Halloween movie, like in detail but not like trivia about it but like analyze it and it's really a unique take really amazing and uh one of those guys is a guy named dan caffrey well dan and i are, are friends he was a playwright in chicago and now he lives in austin but um uh uh i i made a joke after halloween 2018 came out about how terrible it was i really 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 disliked it and i said you know what they should do and then i just made a joke and Dan laughed. It's like, that would be a funny Halloween movie. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, I had this other script called Terror 13 that was around, and people were really into Terror 13. But I, it was very Italian again, so nobody bought it. But they remembered me as a writer, so then they're like, uh, hey, do you want to pitch a Halloween movie? So I thought, well, I got this joke. <laughs> so I, I basically went and <laughs> did an extended dance mix of the joke. And then I didn't hear anything forever. And then... Um, uh, uh, we finally got the thumbs up, and I was like, well, I'm going to bring Dan onto this project. So then Dan and I wrote uh, 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 a Halloween script uh, for the franchise. Um, it, the caveat was it had to be less than $5 million. It can't interfere with Halloween Kills or Halloween Ends. Um, and uh, it uh, you know it needs to extend the franchise. It can't have Laurie Strode in it. Um, so uh, it was uh, – you know, it's, it's, it's out there now. Uh, Dan actually just delivered a new rewrite um, he's really writing the B plot, and I really wrote the A plot. But uh, it's killer. I mean, the reaction to it has been fantastic. I hope, uh, again, you know, you never know until the cameras are rolling if they're going to make the thing. Right. But yeah. I mean, that would, I that think would that's be super incredible. exciting. And, oh, man. So hopefully. I got to tell you, it's the, greatest, it's the greatest goddamn Halloween movie ever made, and it remedies everything wrong that I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we believe you, and we can't wait. Well, if you sign an ironclad NDA, you guys are welcome to do it. <laughs> All right, perfect. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely want to move into talking about your your top th- your you know your your three most influential films in in the space. But before we do that, any advice you want to give to young parents that might be horror obsessed like we are uh, that you might want to extend their way? I'm trying to navigate the waters with the young ones growing up. Okay, well, um, first of all, know your children and what they can handle. I wouldn't show, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't show Let's Scare Jessica to Death to uh, 
to a five-year-old, you know, <laughs> that would <laughs> definitely not be a good idea. But, you know, I, I, I first started with this cause it was never like a master plan to, to bring my kids into the horror world. But I first started with just making them love movies. Um, that is really the initial thing, you know, not YouTube videos, not TikTok, you know, but that wasn't around back then, but (laughs) just to love, to love movies. And, and the idea that movies are pretend and they're made by human beings who are generally creative and kind people. Um, and then start to introduce films that have some degree of freak out, you know, um, Wizard of Oz scarred me when I was young, um, in a good way because it prepared me. (laughs) Um, and, and, uh, you know, uh, Willy Wonka, like I mentioned. Um, but then, you know, start to introduce the idea of a monster, you know, and there are, there are movies like the whole that are very good for, for kids, but genuine. Oh, the Joe Dante film. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great movie. I love Joe Dante so much. Let's dive into the top three of yours that have been influential to you. So the first of which being, we already had mentioned 1980, the fog directed by John Carpenter, music by John Carpenter. Starring our buddy Tom Atkins. Have you met Tom Atkins? Please tell me you have, and please tell me he's nice. <laughs> I have t- uh, two or three times. We were on uh, um, a, a, a convention together. We were at tables next to each other. Um, I was promoting Under the Table, and he was promoting my, maybe My Bloody Valentine uh, the remake. That, I was just going to say that. I was going to say that too. <laughs> so is um, he cool? Or maybe he had a. Uh, he was. So incredibly cool. And a matter of fact, my son, who was very little at that time, he was probably six or seven, he bought for $5 a painting of my son's that he had made, which, you know, my son is a really good painter nowadays. Uh, But, you know, he was younger and this was entertaining art by a child, but I don't know if we bought Van Gogh or anything, but he was totally gracious about it and he paid five bucks for it and he was extremely cool. Honestly, when people tell me that someone like Tom Atkins is like super fucking cool, it like it's like you telling me that like the Care Bears are like the coolest bears you've ever met because it's like <laughs> I don't know why it fills my heart with fucking joy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I you know, and I love I, I love that he's game. Uh, I, I casually know Sean Clark. I don't know if you watch Horrors Hollowed Grounds, um, but uh, he uh, when he does that interview on the Creep Show Blu-ray that came out last last year, whenever that was. Um, where he interviews Tom Atkins and Tom Atkins pretends like he's hates tar and he's a jerk or whatever. I'm like, Oh no, I love that. (laughs) And then he comes out and realizes it's an act. You're like, Oh, thank God. (laughs) So yeah, he's very nice. Oh, thank Christ. He's a good guy. So this movie is pretty stacked, uh, with the, the Carpenter crew. So we've got Tom Atkins, we got Jamie Lee, we have Adrian Barbeau. Um, I, I don't know if he was married to, she was married to John Carpenter or if they, I think they have a child together, right? Yeah. I, I think they were married then. And uh, by the way, uh, we, sh- for the 2000s, shared the same agent, Adrian Barbeau and I. Oh. For, oh. for uh, fiction or novels. Awesome. was nonfiction. But. So th- this film I really enjoy f- for a zillion different reasons, but it, looking at it from the uh, 
the the guise of of the the score and the music involved i really think that it's masterfully there's a masterful uh interwoven kind of quality to both john carpenter's score as well as the music that's being done from the the radio station that that adrian barbeau owns and i think that that's really cool because i feel like that's a pretty prominent theme throughout the film uh Mm -hmm. just kind of the music that she's playing and and how that works its way in and i think you had mentioned earlier too the absence of of sound and absence of music in this movie is very very prominent and very deliberate which is pretty neat um any, the low tones throughout yeah, yeah. and so i i think too the the way that the sound is sculpted even so the scene at the end when everything's going crazy and they keep cutting back and forth from you know the Stevie Wayne character at the radio station to what's happening in the church and she's on the roof and it's like okay she there's nowhere to go but up and she is pretty much as far up as it gets and the music is doing that like da 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 and it's just like oh my god you feel like you're on fire and and they keep flipping back and forth and there are so many different sounds happening and they just really manipulate he he manipulates it so well he's a master of that yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, the only thing that really gets that same kind of, you know, kind of abrasiveness and beauty is maybe It Follows by Disaster Piece. So he employs some of that same technique. And oh, it's, it's I love great. that. I love that score yeah, as well. That, that score is really great. Um, by the it's way, one of my you, oh, yeah, it's a great score. Um, and so is um, Under the Silver Lake, which is a pretty confused movie. I'm not sure I like the movie, but the Disaster Piece score is really a wonderful score. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen um, that one yet. It's on yeah, my it's list. Worth, it's worth seeing for the score. Um, and my friend Mike Turner is a music supervisor on it. He also did Pee Wee's Big Holiday, speaking of it. But uh-huh. um, uh, the, the uh, uh, music supervision of that movie is incredibly good. So between the score and the, and the songs they picked, uh, it's, it's a wonderful film. Uh, but it's just, I don't know, it's just, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But anyway, uh, side note on that. Um, so uh, <laughs> if you ever want to hear me uh, ripping off the fog uh, in all the flowers that cut through the earth, the 2019 film I scored, the soundtrack is on Spotify. Uh, there's a song called The Staircase. I think it's maybe the 10th song on the soundtrack. And it's kind of a longer piece. Uh, it is a complete ripoff of the fog. <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> so it's kind of theme. But uh, but if you listen to all the flowers that cut through the earth, which is a very giallo title um, of a, a very excellent film, I really was thrilled to be involved. Uh, directed by Ward Crockett, who's amazing. And um, but the uh, uh, the staircase is the name of the song. You'll hear that and you'll say, Jesus Christ, Aaron, what are you doing? You're just <laughs> ripping off the fog. Well, we'll have to check it out. Do you guys know what the budget of this film was? I don't. I, I assume because it was who did it? Was it uh, Avco? It's probably four million or something. It was one million dollars. I which I I just looked up prior to doing this, and I was shocked to see that because the other two films we talk about had um, one has a significantly larger budget, <laughs> and uh, another has a marginally larger budget, but yeah, a million bucks and it grossed so much nationally or, uh, you know, internationally. It's just, that's crazy. And it just was Carpenter streak. He like really, he had a lot of, of 
of back-to-back-to-back hits, and this was one of them for sure. You know, I love the fact that he wrote it and he wrote the music uh, and directed it because it really does, you feel his soul in there. You know, I, not many people cover that many bases. So it's, uh, even though somebody could, you know, articulate their vision of what they want and still achieve it, you know, like Steven Spielberg does with John Williams, um, the fact that it is all him is really, really cool. I, and that's how I modeled my career. I'm like, I want to do it all too. That sounds fun. Yeah, and I feel like he, he particularly in so many of his films, the, the concept of isolation is present. So, in Halloween, it's obviously, you, you know, she, she, the Jamie Lee Curtis character, Laurie Strode is 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 very insulated and isolated, not only in this small suburban town, but as this monster is attacking her, like the windows getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and the, the world is closing in on top of her. Um, I feel like the fog even though it's in this beautiful California town that the way it opens uh, is very, again, insular. And there's that idea of isolation and they go through the town and shot by shot, they they show the gas station, they show the convenience store, they show all this stuff and it's quiet and it's insulated. It feels very isolated. Yeah. yeah. And the thing too, it doesn't get any more isolated (laughs) than that. And I, I just feel like that's such a theme for Carpenter. So I'm sure there's some psychology to that as, as to the intent, uh, whether intentional or not. But I feel like the music pairs so well with that constant theme that you kind of see through his films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very good point. And, you know, hey, when you live in California, we haven't made it up north to that lighthouse, but John Carpenter locations are everywhere. I just drove by the church from the Prince of Darkness and took a picture the other day because it's right down the street. Oh, man. I I will move in there. I would live live in there. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, Pasadena, it's, the hedge is still there from Halloween. People still take pictures <laughs> right, there. Yeah, I see on Instagram all the time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, we uh, the, the Buccaneer where uh, uh, Halloween three was shot, the bar where he's having the the ten a.m. in the morning drink. You know, I'll uh, live Christine, in there also. Yeah, well, it's that's actually a great bar. I highly recommend it. The Buccaneer in Sierra Madre, California. It's a really fun bar. That bar reminds me so much of uh, what was that bar in Chicago? The Owl. Yeah. The owl. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me so much of that bar. Yeah, it's definitely a towny bar. Um, but no one will be rude to you when you're there. So it's okay. Awesome. All right. What else about the fog? Anything else before we jump to the next film, Jamie? Anything? I think we I think we covered it. I everyone loves that movie. Yeah. I, everyone knows it. Everyone I have loves a it. deep, deep seated appreciation for that film for sure. It's one of those movies that like I could put on every single night before bed. And fall asleep too. Yeah, it's like a, a very comfortable T-shirt. Yeah, which is something yeah. that John and I do. That's that's like not together. Uh, that sounded weird. <laughs> um, it, it's it's funny when you have kids like it, John and mine's kids are pretty much the same age. Mine are six and two, and his are five and two, and we have no time to watch fucking movies. It's like so like my time is like I go into bed, I put a movie on, and I fall asleep to it. And it's typically the same movie. Yeah, you want the old familiar, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Yeah, mine was uh, Blade Runner during that time. I fell asleep to Blade Runner a lot, which is a beautiful movie, but it's like ambient when you're watching it after 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's very cathartic. Stevie Wayne just lulls me right to sleep. Oh, God. Honestly, in, the, in the best way, not in a boring way, just like in the I'll best. I'll pop my headphones in and just listen to her. You're on top of the world. With, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm there. All right, so let's... 
So let's let's uh, jump to the next film, which is not the old familiar. Which holy shit, Darren! This recommendation that you gave us. Okay, so this movie's called The Island, also made and in 1980. If there's any listeners out there that haven't watched this, go pay the four dollars on Amazon or whatever and watch it. Yeah, it's Michael Caine at his most yelling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had no idea Michael Caine was in this, but thank God he was. So, uh, this movie is Papillon meets Jaws meets Peter Pan. When you told me that description before I watched it, I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then I watched it, and I was like, he's spot on yeah. here. So, and as I was watching this, I was like, man, this this movie must have cost an actual fortune to make. And I looked, and the budget estimated on IMDb was $22 million. Whoa, what the hell? Yeah, and it it did not make $22 million. <laughs> uh, they blew up a plane, and there's a whole plane crash and explosion and, and uh, boats and yachts getting torn apart. I mean, God, it had to cost a lot. Yeah, my God. Like, who gave them that budget? <laughs> so, so, Darren, who... Uh, who did the score for this film? Was it So this score was my first introduction to Ennio Morricone, who, you know, would write uh, the score for the thing later and, and yep. cement my love for him. But I actually heard the island before. Um, it was one of those Verese Sarabande LP releases I found in the record bin. It's probably sometime in the early eighties. And I um, uh, I hadn't seen the movie, but I had listened to the score, and the score I thought was really beautiful and at the same time really suspenseful there's a song it's got if you see the movie the song title makes sense but there's a song on the second side called two barb hunts maynard because two barb is one character and maynard is michael kane's character so it's two barb hunts yeah. maynard which is like one of the most beautiful pieces of music i've ever heard for a film but then i saw the movie later and two things occurred to me one well maybe three things one is batshit crazy um it, it's two, nuts yeah it's nuts too it is extraordinarily violent for and crazy violent like it's about pirates uh, modern day pirates who uh capture ships in the bermuda triangle yachts and and yuppies and and they raid these ships and they they slaughter everyone Every time. But it feels and, like you're at Disney along the way. It's honestly like walking through Disney and then looking to your right and being like, oh, dude, it's severed head. I actually wrote down Disney. Yeah. Like, it, while they're, like, yeah. attacking some of these ships, it is like fucking Pirates of the Caribbean through there. Yes. And it's like, no, they are hacking people up. Yeah. I the, That's one thing that I – this is why I cite this as a big influence because um, – the, the, when they're doing the raids, the music is like swashbuckler music to get you excited <laughs> about the romance and grandeur of it. But at the same time, they are they are doing horrible crimes, uh, and they're they're murdering and raping and pillaging like pirates did. But they're dressed like pirates of the Caribbean, so it's kind of a put on anyway. But the um, the thing that's uh, struck me is, as a composer, you do not have to match the actions tone, you have to match the theme you're trying to get across. And I had never heard that in a movie before, that you could play against the movie. Like, sometimes now you see Suspiria, there's a, a scene going on where the music's just going nuts, but, like, literally nothing's happening on the screen. And things like that excite me. I'm like, what is what is kind of the opposite of an audience's expectation? Which I don't think... I love the Conjuring movies, but they don't, they don't do that. If it's a scary scene, there's scary music. Right, yep. Yeah, yeah. yep, but you're it, right. 
here, like the contrasts in, in European movies or in the island are really interesting to me that they would choose something. I mean, it's sort of like when you have uh, Stuck in the Middle with You played in Reservoir Dogs. You've got horrible torture going on <laughs> yeah. with a happy Right. But this is with the actual score, which is really cool. Yeah, no, it's like I if I had my eyes closed, I'd be like, are we watching Cutthroat Island? And then I would open my eyes and see people's throats being cut and be like, what in the hell? Watching Overboard with Kurt Russell. <laughs> also, not to blow it, if you see it, but the ending of the island, most of it is like, you know, the pirates have the upper hand. But I have to say the ending of the island is always striking to me because not not only is it a, a reversal of fortune, it's so sudden. And it's really like maybe how it really go down, you know, because yeah. you are literally like, he's fucked no one, you know, kind of thing. And you're like, oh, that's so weird. It's so like, weird. Oh, but the way a 50 caliber. Oh, 50 caliber. <laughs> and the, like, the smile that he has on his face when he like sees it. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of smiles, <laughs> oh, dude. Two, I, I wrote two prominent scenes down and both involve the same character. So I think I was smiling as that scene was happening. Yes. Which makes joyous. me feel bad about myself. Yeah. In, in the very beginning of the film or like not the very uh, first I have a scene. story about this beginning. Yeah. Jamie. You, you good night. So do you want to tell? <laughs> no, no, first? no. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So I think it's the second, uh, uh, excursion that is infiltrated by the pirates, but essentially there's a family and they're all killed, but there's one girl in the family that they're like, okay, we're going to take her and bring her back to the Island. Okay. So then she then becomes one of the children that they use to bait people yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when uh, Michael Caine's character and the son are out on the boat and they're fishing and it's the son, it's and it's one of those honest things that happens. He, he catches a big fish. He got his barracuda. And then they're like, okay, great. Yeah, let's go back. Michael Caine's like, let's go back. He's like, no, I want to keep fishing. And if he just would have said as a parent, like, no, we're going back, this wouldn't have happened. But he says... Okay, I'm a good dad. It's kind of a theme throughout. He just kind of actually, I'm a shit dad. He's a shit dad, so he's letting the kid kind of roll the roost. Yeah, buying that gun. So, he's but then they go the out a little further, flagrantly. further or farther. I don't know what yeah. the appropriate use there is. But they go out uh, in in the boat some way, and they find an overturned raft, and there's a girl with a life vest on, and she's waving her hand, and they go up, and they try and let her in the boat, but her face as she grabs the son's hand and pulls him in to the water is absolutely horrifying. It'll pucker your ass instantly. It's like that same face she gives the Coast Guard so, guys. Okay, so yeah. the second one I have written here is the Coast Guard. When they come oh, in God. and Ugh. and she's Ugh. like smirking as they're yeah, being killed. Smirk. Oh, Ugh. God. That is yeah. horror. That's a, that is a traumatized child, man. She saw her, her parents kidnapped and she was brainwashed and then she's doing it for them. It is like the most horrible turn. It's really frightening. Yeah, no, that movie is not like a oof. So, Don't show that. It's, no, yeah, no. So not. John tells me about this movie, and he's like, uh, I mean, it was on the list, but then John was like, dude, you have to uh, buy this movie or rent it from Amazon or whatever for four bucks. And uh, this was last night. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to dive on into this. Um, so it's like, 11 o'clock. I'm like, man, this is pretty late. I'm just going to dive in. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was my subconscious that I hit a button or something. I pushed rent. I don't know what happened. Somehow it started like an hour in. It started with him like swimming to the island or whatever. And I was like, oh, this must be some weird sort of like prologue. He's like like, texting me. He's like, I don't understand. I'm like, like, dude, like what the fuck? Well, there's no backstory. What happened? Why are they here? 
Um, so yeah, I just saw like the last half of the movie and then I'm like sitting there like bewildered, like what, what did I just watch? I just, why was it so short? Why? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's a long movie so and then it is I, like, confusing, but it's very messy. <laughs> he went back and was like, oh my God, I missed the entire fucking beginning. Like, ugh. So, I mean, it was a great movie, but I watched it in reverse. You know, quite frankly, it probably made no difference at all to your quality. Of control. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. So, it's, yeah, it's not a great movie, but it's certainly its own movie. I'll be honest. I'm going to look for this movie on Blu-ray like tonight because yeah. it's not great, but it is great in its own way. Yeah, I, I own it on Blu-ray. I mean, and I, there's no other reason other than occasionally I put it on and I'm like, that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I <laughs> right. saw it was on Blu-ray and I was like, do I just buy and, this? And to be honest, yeah. one of the reasons we do this podcast is so that we can discover new stuff. And I discovered a gem thanks to you, Darren. So everyone well, else should out- go check this out as well. 1980s The Island. Yes, it's very good. And the, the score and all Ennio Morricone scores are, are wonderful. Yeah, I love him. All right, you want to jump to our last film here, Darren? Let's go to the last one. Um, my t- uh, top three influence on me is uh, Creepshow from 82, I believe. <laughs> With John Harrison. Talk. Because what's funny is one of my other favorite scores is Tales from the Dark Side, which he also did. Yeah, he did that. He did effects, which is not not great. But he also did Day of the Dead, which is a, a wonderful, very 80s, but still a wonderful score. Yeah. That that actually is like a of the Romero films. That one I have a very deep, confused relationship with. Um we don't have to go too far into Well, that, like a that. lot of anthologies, you love certain segments. Yeah, yeah. But some others are misses for you. You know, uh, the, the, again, Creepshow was, and Day of the Dead is very much like this. This is Scanners. Um, the reason I cite it as an influence is not only because of the mix of piano and profit uh, synthesizer that is so lovely. Um, it is, because it's an anthology, there's a really interesting arc to the soundtrack that if you listen to it divorced from the movie, it is like a s- symphony with different suites um, and it moves through and themes come in and go and each section has its own theme and the textures of it are nice and then it's bookended by that wonderful uh, opening credit and end credit music. And it's just, it's a work of art. It's really an amazing accomplishment. And Day of the Dead is that way too where it's, it's, it's like he wrote to picture um, the entire score beginning to end. And there's so much music in it. It's literally packed with music, but it's, it's not the same music over and over. It, it evolves with the film. And I did that on Chrysalis. That was originally a choice John Klein and I wanted to make was that the, the music, um, would, um, evolve along with the plot. So it wasn't like I, I wrote a bunch of disconnected music and he put it in. I wrote to picture and I started in the studio with frame one, and um, we built the score, you know, the, um, over the course of a year. And it's a, it's, a, it's a symphony, you know, pretty much. And, and that's because of Creepshow. That's really cool. I, I, when I was listening to that, I was like, I bet he loves just one of the things was the piano. Is the beginning, especially with that heavy piano. So good. Yeah, if you listen to the uh, theme song from Spikes, a slasher thing I did in 2010, um, it's it's Creepshow-esque. So if you had to, let's let's do a round robin here, uh, categorize yeah. each of the segments 
from your favorite to least favorite, what would you guys pick? I think we're probably all going to maybe agree the crate as the the reason to show up for that movie. If they right. didn't, if it had, if they didn't have the crate, it would have been oh, it's a, it would have been Creepshow too, quite frankly. But uh, um, the crate is uh, the crate could stand by itself as one of the greatest short films in horror I've ever seen. Okay, yeah, so crate's, crate's number one for you, Darren. What would be number two? Um. I like the one with Ted Danson uh, buried in the sand. Uh, they're creeping up on you. Is that that one? Um, that uh, one. Something uh, that tied you something over. Something to tied you something over. To yeah. tied you over. That, the creeping up on you is the, the last one, right? Um, something to tied you over. Yeah, with uh, 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 Leslie Nielsen and uh, um, uh, Galen Ross from uh, Dawn of the Dead. That, that, um, that one will be second for me. How about you guys? Uh, let's hit your, your order because so far, actually for me, your, your one and two are my one and two. Same, same for me. Yeah. So what, what's your, what's your three? Um, you know, I have a phobia of bugs, but I have to say they're creeping up on you is probably three. Uh, but it's tough for me to watch it. I probably enjoy watching the birthday one more. What was that one called? The first one. Father's Day. Father's Day. Thank you. So I probably enjoy that one more although the sound design on it is really really loud it's a, a very so loud. yeah it's it's really that's why i kind of like to hear the score disconnected from all the shouting because literally aside from the scene at the gravestone it it's 12 minutes of people screaming at each other and it's it, a weird it really is. Um, so i probably have to go with creeping up on you but just by a hair and then maybe father's day and then jordy barrel um yeah which Beryl. is that's that's the last because I think that one is, it, it seems sort of pointless. I want to like crash. it. Yeah, I do. I want to yeah, like I it. Want so to much. like it, but I just yeah. What about you, James? Oh, my third would be if I can use it. The prologue scene with Tom Atkins. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, one. you sneaky little bastard. That's a good pick. Yeah, I didn't even think to do that, but yeah. Because I I like that sets to me that sets that movie up perfectly because I'm just smiling the whole time. All right, so let's say you can't use that though. You you're going to go <laughs> oh, you're going to go the crate something to tide you over and then what's uh, third three? I, I don't know. It to be honest, I think we I think like I feel like Darren feels the same way. It's kind of like a jumble after that. It's like, eh, I could watch this one. I could watch that one. I don't know. Like I I I don't know. They're creeping up on you. I guess I'll go with Okay, and then Father's Day. So you have the same order as Darren. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I go out of that a little bit. Um, crate for me first, which Darren, I agree entirely and wholeheartedly. That could stand on its own as one of the best shorts uh, out there. Uh, then something to tide you over, and then Father's Day for me. And I went Jordy Verrill fourth, and they're creeping up on you fifth, just because I actually for for a while in life. I struggled with this movie because for as much as I like the crate and something to tide you over, I feel like I, I don't like father's day, Jordy Verrill and they're creeping up on you. Um, and I, I don't know that's just for me. Like I, it's my thing, but I, I, the way it starts with those first two with father's day and Jordy Verrill, I'm like, ah, you know, like I, I like this. I really, I should like it more than I do. It's Romero. It's Stephen King. It's, Tom Atkins, it's all like everyone I love it's and everything, everything I love. You love yeah. yeah, but I also feel like sometimes I'm watching it and I'm like, am I lying to myself? Do, should I? <laughs> am I missing something? But 
the two that are 100% home runs for me on this are the crate uh, and something to tide you over and, and Father's Day is the tweener for me. It's good choices. I mean, I, I don't think it's uh, Romero's best film. I think it's his most stylish and, and interesting visually, but in terms of a, in terms of a script, it's uh, aside from the crate and maybe something to tide you over. I think the script is, you know, bad, an average bad, you know, it's not, not great, but I really loved uh, Knight Riders. He was coming off of that and, you know, I was going to go into whatever he made. Yeah. You know what I loved about something to tide you over is that's a tales from the crypt. Very Tales and from the Crypt. I, I grew up loving Tales from the Crypt. Talk about like you childhood when we lived in favorites. Chicago together. We were buying every uh, yeah season of that. You buy season one, I'll buy season two. You buy season three, I'll buy season four. Yeah, now I have yeah. like season five. Now it's seven, like you and I are like jumbled all don't fucked live together up. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. yeah, Well, guess it's reasons to do this. Uh, I suppose. Um, hey, can I borrow season three? Uh, no, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, Darren, this has been Darren, super it's been fun. a blast. Yep. Thank you so much, man. We'll have to bring you back on uh, uh, again in future to talk about some some other content. But yeah, thank I feel you. like we barely even touched your career. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, man, and and hopefully the next time we talk, it's going to be about the uh, the Halloween. Yeah, the new Halloween. The that's best Halloween out. ever. Yeah. Yeah, I'll keep you guys in the loop. It's uh, exciting, and I hope uh, magic happens. But uh, thanks for having me on. It was a real pleasure, and I'm going to keep listening. You guys are doing a great job. Yeah, honestly, man, we know you're super busy, and we really appreciate you taking some time out to just shoot the shit with us. It's been it's been really fun. I'll talk horror anytime. All right, thanks, all right, man. man. Take care.